you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Matthew. Once again, Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing and returning to our study of the Lord's Prayer. It's found in a couple different places in the Gospel of Matthew as well as the Gospel of Luke. But we are focused in on Matthew's account of this instruction that the Lord Jesus gave his followers that has now been preserved for us by his Spirit in his word. And so phrase by phrase, we've been working our way through this prayer, thinking upon it, meditating on its significance for our lives. If you weren't here last week, we looked at the petition, give us this day our daily bread. We kind of unpacked that and what does that mean for our lives and what is Jesus really reminding us and asking us to consider. Well, today we move to the next petition. I'm going to read, as I've done each week, we've studied this prayer, the entirety of the context around Jesus' instruction to his disciples and not just the specific petition. And so if you are willing and able, would love for you to stand for the reading of God's word out of honor for his word. Matthew chapter 6. Again, starting at verse 5, reading through verse 13. Actually, I'm going to tack on verses 14 and 15 as well. Listen as I read. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, God. Go ahead and be seated. Indebtedness. Unfortunately, in our modern world, we know a lot about this. In fact, some of us are struggling. We're having a hard time getting away from indebtedness. We struggle with school loans. We struggle with car payments, even credit card debt. And for those who have been able to avoid those things, most of us are strapped with a mortgage that we will be attached to for years and years. The problem of indebtedness, financial indebtedness, was an issue in Jesus' day as well, often with much more serious consequences. But Jesus, while tapping into that reality and that rawness, as his disciples would have heard these words, forgive us our debts, Jesus is addressing something much more significant, of course. 
Today we move from the provision of last week, give us this day our daily bread, to the pardon of this week. We move from our physical need, which again, the Lord Jesus cares about. He has made you His personal concern to our spiritual need. As essential as bread is to our bodies, forgiveness is to our souls. And so this petition that we're going to meditate on for the next few minutes really is at the heart, it's at the center of this prayer. It grounds us in what we need to be grounded in. And that is the Gospel. Three things for us to remember through the teaching of this phrase by Jesus. And the first thing is this. You are morally bankrupt. Every one of us in this room is morally bankrupt. I've introduced a new word there. Not indebtedness, but bankruptcy. Mostly through foolish spending and occasionally through circumstances outside of their control. Financial bankruptcy has also become an epidemic in our country as well as indebtedness. Right? There are dozens of professional athletes even. You see them from time to time on the news. Men and women who had millions and millions of dollars at their disposal and have now squandered it all and have proclaimed themselves bankrupt. Bankruptcy is defined as the state of being unable to pay outstanding debts. Well, in our position spiritually, the Scriptures are not silent about this. Listen to some of these echoes from the Apostle Paul. In Colossians 2, Paul writes this, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing to the cross. And so He tells the church in Rome in Romans 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh. You see, Paul is clear, and Jesus is bringing up here in this petition, he's reminding us that regardless of our financial status, we all are indebted to God as a result of our sin. We are all morally bankrupt. In fact, Luke, in his recounting of the Lord's prayer in Luke 11, he actually confirms that this is what Jesus is getting at because he uses a different Greek word there, one that's more commonly translated into English as sin. So if you were to flip over to Luke 11, you would see Luke says in this petition, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so we're indebted to God. What do we owe Him? Well, we owe Him love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. We owe Him fear. For the Lord is great and awesome, a consuming fire. We owe Him obedience. Ecclesiastes 12.13 Fear God and keep His commandments. 
We owe Him trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. Made by Him and made for Him, we have failed to give our Creator what we owe Him. We are indebted. We are morally bankrupt. We will never be able to repay. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And I've said this before in this study, but if you're here this morning or if you're listening online and you have never acknowledged this, then this is where your cry begins. Not with our Father in heaven, because that's beginning a family prayer, but your cry begins here with a cry for mercy, a cry acknowledging your moral bankruptcy for the very first time. But what about those of you in this room and those of you online listening who know and love the Lord Jesus? You're Christians and you're saying, hold on a second, aren't I forgiven once and for all past, present, and future? And I would say, absolutely you are. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 10.10, with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. So by declaring that you are morally bankrupt, I'm not wanting you to suddenly feel uninsured. But think about your own family dynamics, past or present. When your child parents, when your child willfully deceives you and you learn of this, while their standing within the family never changes, the relationship, at least for a time, is fractured, right? We talk about as parents earning back trust. In the same way, we break the Father's heart daily. Ephesians 4, we grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3, our prayers are hindered by disobedience. We do what we ought not to be doing. We don't do what we should be doing. And because of that, we so often stand in need of relational restoration with our Father in heaven. And Jesus is reminding us that we don't come to the Father presuming that everything is all right when we've got this whole backpack full of sin that we're trying to hide. We're trying not to deal with. No, coming to the Father includes recognizing the severity of our sin, remembering our moral bankruptcy. That's why David said in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A heart humble is what the Lord desires. And so we've talked about this before. This is why we confess our sins each Lord's Day. This is why we live a life of repentance. But unlike our parents where we have to earn back trust, that's not the way God deals with us. That's not why our Heavenly Father deals with us. Though the relationship might be broken, as we come to Him in repentance, the second truth happens. Your debt has been canceled. Your debt has been canceled. You are morally bankrupt, but your debt has been canceled. 
Maybe you have people like this in your life. Anna and I certainly do. People who, every time Christmas comes around, there's kind of an angst about what can I give this person? You know, you have people in your life that you give those $20 gifts to, maybe those family members you give those $100 gifts to, but then you have those people, and we have some of those people in our lives that have blessed us to such a degree that there is no way we could give them a gift that would even come close to repaying the kind of gifts, the kind of blessing that they have given to us. And it's not that they want us to feel that way. It's just hard to not feel that way. There's no way to get out from under the indebtedness. Brothers and sisters, forgive us our debts is the very heart of the Gospel. Because we don't pray this wishfully. I hope He forgives. We pray this confidently. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God didn't give to you because He expected or wanted you to repay Him. You can't repay Him for what He has done for you. No, He gave because of His love. There's no interest. There's no payment plan. There's no hidden fees. There's only Jesus. Full and complete forgiveness in Jesus. This is the Gospel. I've been reading in my personal time with the Lord through the book of Leviticus. It's fun. I'm almost through it though. Just the other day, I read in Leviticus 25 about the year of Jubilee. Remember this celebration that the people of Israel had every 50 years, God's people were told not to sow, not to reap, not to trust in their own efforts, but to rest. To return to the property of their ancestors. To set all the slaves and all the indentured servants free. Every 50 years, the year of Jubilee. Michael Card, the singer-songwriter who I've learned most of my Old Testament theology from, I've told you this before in my teenage years, he has a song about it. And in the chorus he says, Jesus is our Jubilee. Debts forgiven, slaves set free. Jesus is our Jubilee. Now don't misunderstand, the debt that you owe to the Lord wasn't swept under the carpet. No, it was costly. Because debts have to be paid by someone. And so God Himself has paid your debt. God Himself has taken the hit through the work of Jesus. So the reminder this morning through Jesus' phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, is to not take His forgiveness for granted. Preach the Gospel to yourself every day. Well, that's a prelude for the third truth where Jesus teaches us how to live. And I've summed it up this way. Not just are you morally bankrupt, not just has your debt been canceled, but you now need to commit yourself to be a forgiver. Commit yourself to be 
a forgiver. You see, some of us, most of us, we live with these gargantuan disconnects in our lives between the gospel, between God's word and how we live. We say we're in the fold of the forgiven, and yet there are relationships in our lives that are broken as a result of our unwillingness to forgive. And I dare say our culture, our modern day culture, feeds this at times. I was reading this week and I came across a modern writer who had written a blog post that was entitled this, To Hell with Forgiveness Culture. And it was a response, I believe, it was a response to those members of that Charleston church who when that young man came in and shot several of them dead as they were praying years ago, they stood up to him in court and said to his face that they forgave him. You see, through this prayer and through two simple words, as we, Jesus connects what we experience to what we live out. Simply put, the redeemed forgive. We've seen too much. We've been dealt with too graciously to not deal with others in the same grace that we have been shown. And this is hard to do. Jesus knew it was hard to do. He told parables about this. Remember the parable of the unforgiving servant? Matthew 18. Let me read a little bit to you. Peter came to the Lord and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the same servant went out and found one of his servants who owed him a hundred denarii, he seized him, he began to choke him, and he said, pay what you owe. And his fellow servant said, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw that he, what had taken place, they were distressed. They went, reported to their master all that had taken place, and the master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The debt canceled by the king was massive. Massive. Millions of dollars. The debt demanded by the servant was something around 12 grand. See, the servant revealed that he simply just didn't get it. 
heart that has truly experienced forgiveness can do no other. Our forgiveness of others is not the ground of our forgiveness, but it is the proof of our forgiveness. It is the evidence that we have been forgiven, that we truly have digested the gospel in our own lives. For this reason, Augustine, the early church father, called this phrase the terrible petition. The terrible petition. Because if we pray this with an unforgiving heart, we are essentially asking God not to forgive us. And he writes, modern theologian says this, failure to forgive one another isn't a matter of failing to live up to a new bit of moral teaching. It is cutting off the very branch that you are sitting on. And then finally, the great preacher Spurgeon wrote, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Strong words, no doubt. But our forgiveness, as the Heidelberg Catechism states, is the witness of grace. It's the witness of grace. Relationships are messy. We all know that. The world knows it. They live it. But built into our DNA, even those who don't know and love the Lord Jesus, is the fact that relationships are worth it. We can't live without them. And yet, as we've been reminding ourselves of, even in our discipleship hour class at the 9 a.m. hour, we have an opportunity as the people of God to lead in the way of peace amidst the brokenness, amidst the messiness, to lead in the way of gentleness and grace and forgiveness. How exactly do we do that? Like, what does biblical forgiveness look like? Well, that is a huge subject. We've talked about it before in other passages of Scripture. We're studying it in the discipleship hour. That's not even going to cover every angle of what forgiveness is and how we forgive in this situation and what forgiveness looks like in this situation. But let's just dip our toe in to close this morning with a couple encouragements. First of all, what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. Biblical forgiveness is not just a feeling. It's an act of the will. It's a decision. It's not to say it's void of feelings, but it's something that you're called to do whether you feel like doing it or not. Biblical forgiveness is not simply forgetting. It's not simply sweeping things under the carpet. Right? Forgetting is passive. Forgiving is active. It's not excusing. We run into this a lot because I think in our therapeutic culture at times, people come to us and they confess what they have done or how they have wronged to us. And, and what do we so often say sometimes? Our first response. Oh, that's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. That's why they're coming to you. It doesn't mean you need to rub it in their face, but you don't say that's okay. You don't excuse their sin. No, you deal with their sin. 
And biblical forgiveness is not just an apology. It's not simply, I feel bad. That's what it's not, or some of what it's not. What is biblical forgiveness? It's a promise. It's a decision that's fueled by grace. And there are all sorts of loose ends. There are all sorts of rabbit trails we could go down here in terms of internal forgiveness versus external forgiveness. Forgiveness with a person who has asked for forgiveness. Forgiveness for a person who has never asked for forgiveness. What does all that look like? That's where the complexity of it all comes out. And I'm happy to talk through some of those issues. Come to the class. Wrestle with some of those issues with us as we try to learn what this looks like in our lives. But let me just remind you of this. The Lord says in Isaiah 43, I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Now this is not the Lord doing something that He can't do because the Lord can't forget in that in the sense that we might forget things, but this is expressing His commitment to love. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. And so that book that we're studying, The Peacemaker, that we have begun unpacking in class, I just pulled out a few things that that book helpfully gives, I think, in regards to this decision fueled by grace, this promise to forgive others. Four phrases. When we say we forgive, I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring it up again and use it against you. I will not talk about it to others. And I will not let it hinder our relationship. Forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is vital. Maybe we should do a whole sermon series on it and cover some of the angles and some of the complexity of what biblical forgiveness looks like. But I hope at least in this short time together, unpacking this phrase that Jesus gives us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That your heart, your desire, your humility to walk in this way would be rekindled. That you would strive for this in all of your relationships. Maybe as you're hearing this, there are people in your life and they came to mind, I need to deal with them. Because my heart is hard and my heart is closed. And that's not how the Lord has dealt with me. And so brothers and sisters, as you pray, pray with humility, pray with a poverty of spirit, knowing that you owe Him everything. But pray with a joyful confidence, knowing that your debt has been canceled, that the Gospel has set you free to forgive, and then step towards those you need forgiveness from. Wait with hope. Wait with readiness for those who have offended you. Lord, help us pray. Lord, help us live like this. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you once again for the gospel, for the forgiveness that you've shown us. For we are those servants who have been lavished upon by our Master. Father, we confess and we ask for your forgiveness for those whom we have not extended that same grace to. Our hearts have been cold towards them. Our patience has been short with them. We've been quick to judge. 
Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that through your word and in response to the gospel and to the greatness of the message that we celebrate this morning, that you would work in our lives, making us those who forgive, those whom the world recognizes live in a different way, live with different priorities. Well, Father, we need your grace to do this. And so we ask for it and we pray for it with confidence. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.